let's get started by thanking our wonderful sponsors who make this show possible every week. We can't thank them enough. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe my sight one day. The first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gelb, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Please visit the film's website at openyoureyes2020.com, featuring interviews with more than 50 optometrists from around the country, sharing information on eye care and eye disease. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Please leave comments. According to the National Eye Institute, Kids 14 years old and younger who play sports in the U.S., baseball is the leading cause of eye injuries. In fact, eye injuries are the leading cause of blindness in children, accounting for an estimated 100,000 emergency room and doctor visits each year. It's a sad fact that nine out of 10 kids who suffer an eye injury could have prevented it just by wearing proper eye protection, says Kendra DeAngelis, MD, an oculoplastic surgeon in Memphis, Tennessee. Unfortunately, many youth and adult sports leagues do not require players to wear protective eyewear. Today's guest, former Major League Milwaukee Brewer baseball player Todd Dunn, experienced a career-ending eye injury in batting practice. Todd is kind enough to join me today and tell its story. Todd, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Kerry. So tell us what happened in, in to your eyes and, and what what were you doing exactly? Yeah, so we were um it was actually in uh in New York and we were um, doing some early batting practice and um I don't know if you're familiar with how the batting practice goes but the, you know they they push the nets up and they surround you you know the guys hit out of the nets well I was the next one up and um you know I was just standing outside the batting cage and um, a guy hit a ball. It's kind of a fluke accident. It came through the net and and from wow. about ten feet away and 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 hit my eye and um, you know caused some pretty pretty bit. You know, of course, I couldn't see for a little bit. Um, there's blood everywhere. Thankfully, I got a big forehead, um, so it caught a little bit of it. But you know, as your eye is is round, it just took it and hit it straight on and you know flattened it out and then it comes back. Well, I couldn't see for you know an hour or so and. I went to the, of course they rushed me to the ophthalmologist there and, you know, he's like, good news, bad news. You know, the good news is, is you'll eventually be able to see. And uh, the bad news is you're, you're done, you're done with baseball. Cause as you know, baseball, I mean, your eyes are everything. If you can't see well enough, then you're, you're not going to be very successful at baseball. But, and which eye was it? It was my left eye. Your left eye. Left and eye. So. Did you have a blowout fracture? Was that I didn't. Surprisingly, it didn't attach my retina. Um, um, so I, I just had LASIK eye surgery by Dr. Maida probably nine months before that. Uh-huh. So of course, it messed that up a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, basically, and I tried to come back and I, I just couldn't see. You know, he said it could get better, could get worse. You know, your eyes, 
um, you know, as you know, are, are, are tough yet. Yeah, I don't know if um, sometimes they come back, sometimes they, they don't. And my, mine didn't, um, you know, it doesn't affect me in everyday life necessarily, but it definitely into my career, I got bad, real bad floaters, like windshield wipers. Um, and of course I got some flashes in my eyes. So I, I see a retinal specialist, you know, every six months. Um, I've already had cataract surgery. I had that when I was, shoot, I'm 50 now. I was probably 38, 39 when I had that. So super young and, you know, just had some uh, issues with it at night. It's real tough, you know, to see, especially when it's raining. So it, again, it doesn't affect my every, everyday life necessarily, but um, yeah, it's uh, definitely, definitely into my career. Does it sound familiar that it hit your macular and, and you had a tear in the macular or a rough Yeah, tear? yeah. So basically, I got some real bad scar tissue. So basically, like, you know, you know better than me, but just like lines in my eyes. And, you know, so sometimes I'll be, you know, working or something. And I, I literally, it's like I, I see flashes of light and I, I can't see for, I can't even focus, you know, for about an hour and then it'll go away. And that happens, you know, every few months. And, um, you know, the, the retinal specialist said there's eventually something they can do about it, but they, they're trying to wait as long as possible because I'm still fairly young at 50. And um, so, yeah. So, and then it caused a traumatic cataract and they did yeah. cataract surgery. And how much did that help? You know, it did a little bit, but, you know, it's when you have cataract surgery as, as a younger person, um, your eyes are still healthy. So they still have a lot of, as the doctor told me, you have a lot of, uh, you know, I guess gel or, um, your eyes are just more healthy. When you get older, you, you lose some of that. So you don't notice you're losing your vision as much. Well, I definitely noticed it. So it helped. Um, but the, the floaters is what kills me. That cataract surgery after that, I have bad floaters. So the, the, so you still have pretty bad floaters. Yeah, bad. You know, I'm so used to it now. If the normal person had them, they would be like, whoa, but I'm just so used to it now. It's, it's part of my everyday life. And, and with your left eye, your dominant eye, uh, do, you, do you know? No, actually, and that's what I talked to you about. So my right eye was dominant. And when I first went to Milwaukee, um, they tried to, I did, I, you know, these, I'd go to these specialists and try to switch my dominant eye by, you know, getting in a dark room and doing all these special tests and to try to switch my eye to my left side dominant. But because um, in baseball, a lot of major league hitters that are very successful are same side dominant, meaning if they're a left-handed hitter, they're right-eye dominant, or a right-handed hitter, left-eye dominant. Right, cross, we call that cross-dominant. So yeah, their eyes eye. closer to the pitcher. So, um, yeah, I tried, but I couldn't make it work. Yeah, no, you can't really <laughs> that. You know, you know, I'm left-eye dominant also, and, you know, when I play softball or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, they say it helps. I, I'm not really sure it really, it really does that. It really helps that much. Right, but right. What, what age did you realize – or do people realize that you really had the talent that you could become a, a professional baseball player? Well, I kind of, I grew up in, in Oklahoma. I started, you know, wrestling and playing football at four and five years old. Cause you know, Oklahoma football and wrestling are, are where it's at. So, um, and then I moved to Florida when I was 13. Um, and actually uh, when we were 12 years old um, in Oklahoma, we won the little league world series. We were, we were 48 no. So we had a really good team and I, I liked baseball a lot. Um, and then once in high school, I got, you know, into football and basketball, of course. And then I actually played, I went on a football scholarship at Georgia tech at first. Um, and then, uh, then transferred to UNF for baseball. And then I signed in the first round in 93. So I guess, I mean, I was good at a young age, you know, we had a lot of good players on the team. It's pretty funny that 
seven of those 11 kids on that little league team played at least minor league baseball, which is pretty fascinating. Is that right? Um, yeah. So it's, you know, I just, I've always done it, you know, in Oklahoma, there really wasn't anything to do in the, you know, seventies and eighties that play sports. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. The, the home of Mickey Mantle and Bobby Mercer. That's right. I'm a Mickey man. I got every one of his baseball cards <laughs> and love that guy. Yeah. Did, are you a Bobby Mercer fan also? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, those two were the pride of Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Mickey yeah. Oklahoma. Pendleton, is it? It was from Pendleton. It was a Mickey. Mickey. Pendleton. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of good players from Oklahoma. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, when you were, like, six, seven, eight, were you, like, so much better than everybody else? Yeah, so just like everything else, right? Everybody at six and seven, if you if you can – you're the pitcher or the first baseman because if you can catch and throw, you know, there's, like, two or three guys that are the main, the main guys, and you play shortstop and pitch. So, really, I did that until I got into high school. Once into high school, I was always the, the fastest guy on the team um, – which is kind of crazy because I was, you know, 6'5", 220, which is pretty big, you know, for back then for baseball. Now every kid's that big. But, um, yeah, so then I moved to the outfield, and that was it. So I played center field mostly from then on out, except when I got to the major leagues. We had Marquise Grissom, so I moved to a corner. So that's, and as far as for kids, like for hitting, what kind of techniques, you know, now they're trying to teach turning the barrel and all these yeah. different fancy techniques – for kids, what kind of hitting do you recommend for them to kind of concentrate on to try to become a better hitter? Yeah, I think now they t teach a lot of launch angle, which is totally right. different than what we were taught. Um, kind of like how Cody Bellinger hits, and he does a pretty good job at it. But um, I would say uh, this is so, like, you know, easy. When I first got to the major leagues, a guy named Greg Vaughn, who played there a little bit, I'd never done a lot of T work, just the hitting T. Kids think that hitting tee is like for little kids. We right. did it every day in the major leagues, every day. Um, that's the best tool you can do for hitting because you can do so many drills off that. You can move around. You can do one-hand drills. You can see if you're hitting the ball true. Um, so I would say the best work um, that kids can do every day, it's just in, a, in repetition. You know, it's, it's just like golf, right? Um, baseball is more of a skill. I mean, like golf is a skilled swing. It's – you can't catch up in baseball. If you don't play in your youth, there's no way you're going to catch up and, and play baseball. I mean, look at Michael Jordan, right? As athletic as he was, he tried it, and he did a pretty good job for jumping right into double-A, but it's tough. It's tough. Whereas football, if you're a good athlete, you're, you're good at football. You know, so baseball is just more, more, of, a, more of a skilled sport. So <clears throat> how do they teach launch angle to uh, players now? It, it, it's it's kind of different and it's like they're almost swinging we were always taught to swing down and through the ball like you're chopping wood um now they're actually dropping the barrel into a slot and almost swinging up on the ball um which that's almost opposite of what we were taught so it's it's definitely changed a little bit and you know both have their pros and cons I guess it's just kind of whatever you're comfortable with you know that's why you see so many guys with different setups in the major leagues it really doesn't matter you know, where you start, it's just how you finish. I mean, probably the best right-handed swing ever is Manny Ramirez. Um, he stayed through the ball better than anybody. Um, so it's, you know, where it's, and it's kind of crazy because most right-handed hitters, they kind of have ugly swings, whereas the lefties have nice, pretty swings. Right, right. Especially the ones that are right-hand dominant, you know, and they, they're lefty. Yeah, they have nice, nice swings. And how about soft toss? Uh, is that yeah. something that you guys do a lot of? Yeah, a lot of soft toss, a lot of soft toss. I've done yeah so much with kids and my kids and 
Um, yeah, because I mean, you can do that anywhere. You know, you can do it from home with a net. Um, but the tea works. I like the tea work just because you can do it by yourself. You don't need somebody there. Um, so there's really no excuse for saying, hey, I didn't get enough swings in today. And how does that translate to be able to hit a, like a fastball in a real game? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 that well, that was my favorite pitch. I mean, if you if, if they just could throw off fastballs, I could have played forever. But uh, it's the off speed that's tough. So, I mean, basically the pitcher's job is he's trying to keep the hitter off balance. You know, that's why, you know, Greg Maddox, I mean, he never would blow it by you, but he moved the ball around so much. He, he was an artist, you know. So the pitcher is just trying to keep you off balance. And if they can throw their fastball in the mid-90s and – you know, throw a breaking ball or a change up, you know, 20 mile an hour slower, that's where it's tough. Because especially if they're throwing from the same slot, arm slot, it's so hard to pick up rotation, which is why vision, the guys seriously with, that are the best hitters in the baseball, they had the best vision, I can guarantee you. Some of them are 2010, some 2015. But if they if they did a poll of all, of all the baseball players in major leagues, the best hitters would be the ones with the best vision. Did they test uh, death perception? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We do a lot of tests like that. We do a lot of, um, we did a lot of drills, um, like with tennis balls with numbers on them and colored numbers. Um, and they would throw the balls, you know, 120 miles an hour and you would literally have to read to see what it was. Well, I struggled with that. Um, I, I, I struggled with that. I, I wore contacts, you know, a lot. Um, so, but the guy like Jeff Cirillo, uh, he had such good eyes. He could pick out every one. I'm like, how's he doing that? <laughs> it's crazy. But, uh, yeah, you, you get better at it because it's just eye training, you know. So they would throw the tennis balls through from a machine or something yeah, like, like a, a machine? Yeah, yeah, like a jug machine. And they would have them just numbered and colored. And we would do that every day um, just, okay, you know, yeah. to try to pick up, uh, you know, the color number. And they would do it at 120 miles an hour? Yeah, yeah. No kidding. They would start it off slower, but they would get it up there. And I, I Jeff Cirillo was definitely the best out of that I'd seen. They, the guy's amazing. That's why he was such a good – a good hitter and actually he's one of the guys that's kind of a fluke because he was at um usc and was a third baseman i mean it was a pitcher until his his uh his last year oh hold, hold on Got a phone call hold on uh yeah hold on one second that that something happened with this computer uh there you are back okay sorry about that it's one of those days Okay, so uh, so we'll pick it up. Let's pick it up with uh, Jeff Cirillo. So he and he had three hundred, right? Oh yeah, he was a great hitter. But he, had, I mean, he had great vision. Uh, you know, I, I would say he'll probably say the same thing. He wasn't like super, super athletically talented, but he could hand-eye coordination. I mean, it's that's it's, he had great hand-eye coordination. He could just put the bat on the ball like Tony Gwynn, not a super athlete, but one of the best hitters of all time. I mean, I don't know if you saw that stat the other day. They said that he faced Greg Maddox. Um, Smoltz, uh, Pedro Martinez, those three, and one more guy like 323 times and only struck out three times. That is insane because I know it looks easy on TV, but as you move up, I mean, those guys in the major leagues, those pitchers are, are phenomenal. I mean, the hitters are too, but you get up there sometimes and the pitches are filthy. I mean, there's a guy with a good sinker on a right-handed hitter that's right-handed. I mean, it's unhittable if they throw in the right spot. And who was the, the like the, the most amazing hitter that you saw that you just couldn't believe how good they were? Oh man, Manny Ramirez had the prettiest swing. I, I totally wanted to swing like him, but it was you know that guy's that guy's unreal. Um, probably the most impressive like batting practice was Wade Boggs. 
you know, you don't see him as a power hitter, but we were in New York and he literally would, I mean, he, he would hit guy, uh, balls to left field, like 10 in a row, then 10 to center, 10 to right, and then hit 10 home runs in a row, like nothing. I'm like, why does he do that in the games? But in the games, he would just cut his swing down and hit 350 and be okay with it, you know? So pro- pro- probably him, but um, of course, you know, Griffey's, you know, Griffey was amazing, um, you know, guys like that. And what kind, what kind of uh, exercise does a major league player do? you know, to stay in shape and to be, to get strong. Well, now they probably do a lot of cross training, you know, back when I played, um, you know, we had, you know, Conseco and McGuire, those were all, you know, the Bash brothers, they were getting big, you know, but that's when it all kind of started everybody getting big and, you know, hitting home runs and starting to weight train. Um, since I was coming from football, I actually had to lose weight a little bit. Cause I was, I was like two two fifty five and really big and uh, I was fast, but, that was almost too big at the time for baseball. So I tried to play around 230. Um, but I, I trained a lot and that wasn't the norm back then, but it, um, guys started to pick it up and get into it, you know, in the mid nineties. And um, now it's, now it's all they do, you know, probably a lot of CrossFit now too. And did they work out before the game or after the game? Um, both, um, especially pitchers will, you know, they'll do their thing and then they'll run a lot, you know, then they'll ice their arm, but they'll run the next day, get that lactic acid out. Um, well, hitters will get there. I mean, the normal day is you get there at, you know, two, three o'clock and you're done. You're, you're leaving there about midnight, you know, 11, 12 o'clock. And, you know, sometimes you, most of the time it'd be before, you know, early, you know, get it over with, um, you know, so. And how about as far as nutrition goes, was there any special nutrition back when you were playing with 96, 97? Yeah. It's funny. Cause one of my, <clears throat> Phil Garner was our manager. One of my baseball cars says that <laughs> Phil says, Todd's are Dolph Lundgren, you know, because I only had 4% body fat, which is so low, um, almost too low. Um, so I definitely ate, ate really well, um, tons of protein, you know, tons of protein. And, I, you know, no sweets, no Cokes, no, nothing like that. So I've, I've always eaten pretty well. And, like, again, back then, I don't think guys – I mean, shoot, back in the 70s, 80s, I think guys were still – they'd probably smoke some. I, I, I don't know. You know, the guys were probably smoking like Mantle's days. Unfortunately, Mano was probably, you know, drinking a lot and, and playing. Those guys did it. But, you know, now now the nutrition is so, you know, forefront that, um, you know, guys are definitely in a lot better shape now. Do they hire special coaches yeah. for nutrition? and? Yeah, sure they do. Yeah, our, our, yeah, we had a guy there that, um, you know, was a, an ex-bodybuilder and, um, you know, nutritionist. And, yeah, so now I can't imagine what they have now. I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, everything the guys want, but. Um, yeah, even back then we, you know, we had, you know, great training and, you know, you can, they can make you look like you want to look at, you know, so. And, and uh, how about sleep? How important was, was sleep to, for you guys? Yeah, good. I mean, it, you know, I've never been someone that sleeps a ton, you know, I'm always kind of go, 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 but um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, you're getting to bed late because you're, you know, you're, you're finishing the game late. So you're usually going to bed at, you know, you know, one or two o'clock and, um, you know, you can sleep, you can sleep in till eight, nine o'clock. And yeah, but when I was in the minor leagues, you know, you don't, you don't make a lot of money in the minor leagues and every night, no matter what time I did it, um, no matter what time I got in, I always did push-ups and setups before I went to bed every night, you know, for years. So that was kind of my thing. And how much is there, how much a difference is it between a minor league player and somebody that makes it? What do you think is the difference? Uh, I would say a lot of guys have a lot of talent. 
in the minor leagues, um, even at A ball, double A, triple. I've seen so many guys that had the talent to play in the major leagues. They just didn't have have it in you know their head. So it's such a like. What does Yogi Bear? What do you say? I forgot his use his thing, but fifty percent of it was ninety percent mental, whatever. It's, right, right. It's such a mental game. Like you know, they even brought in psychologists, you know, to to you know talk to us and you know just like anything else, it's in life too. You know, you see yourself doing positive things, like you're in the batter's box and you're you know getting ready to hit against Randy Johnson. If you see yourself striking out, you're most likely going to strike out. But if you see yourself being successful, you have a better chance of being successful. So, and that, I think that's every part of your life. I thought it was interesting when you said about the 120 mile an hour tennis balls that you guys would hit against because, because in tennis, they could serve the ball 120, 130 miles an hour. That's so crazy. if a tennis player could hit it back, a baseball player should be able to hit it. No, no, I, I tell you it's, I, and I think the, the, on softball, it's even closer because softball they're at 40, I think they're at 43 feet, baseball, 60 feet, six inches. So the softball players actually have to react quicker than even a baseball player throwing 100 miles an hour. I, I believe that's to be the case. It's tough. I mean, a, a ball come 100 miles an hour, you know, from 60 feet away. I mean, the first, you know, it's 20, 20, 20, right? You pick the ball up, you recognize it. The last 20 seconds, your eyes physically cannot see the ball. It's, it's you know, you're going off the 20, 20 feet before that. So, right. You're making that predictive right. where you think the ball is going to be. Which is why you see guys miss badly sometimes which right. is impressive you see a guy in the major leagues miss real bad you know the pitcher's filthy yeah the, the, i mean it, it's unbelievable to get to be able to train your eyes to get used to the, these type of pitchers yeah you know? yeah but because, i mean yeah, I, I think that's like the biggest thing is you go up it's just learning how to be patient um you know studying the pitchers learning the tendencies and um you know learning to hit to the other field i didn't learn how to hit to right field until double a and when i did i led the the league and hitting i was like oh this is nice is that right yeah this is by going opposite going to the opposite yeah field. yeah i was always a dead pull hitter dead pull dead pull and you know i just started letting the ball get deeper and deeper and i think i hit 340 that year which led the league and in, in the texas league and um yeah so i you know it's just you know be, being patient you know not being too aggressive and, and you were drafted in the first round right yeah 1993 yep so of, of some of the, the most amazing players that you played against, like at pitchers like Kevin Brown, or who were some of like the ones that were like impossible to hit Smoltz or that played in the time that you played Glavin? Yeah, I, I would say Glavin's deaf, all those guys, but I would say the toughest was Randy Johnson. Yeah. Cause I mean, it was intimidating because he's so, he's so tall and he would release the ball so close to you and it's coming in at a hundred. It looks like an aspirin coming in there. Um, you know, it's just a filthy, filthy pitch. So what we do is they would always load the um, load the lineup with right-handed hitters. There's no lefties when he plays. So you knew when Randy's pitching, you're in the lineup, <laughs> you know, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, he was probably the definitely the the toughest one for me to hit. And, and a guy like somebody maybe doesn't know him, but Mike Timlin. Mike Timlin uh -huh. from the Blue Jays had a nasty sinker, heavy, heavy, heavy sinker. And I actually hit a home run against him on an 0-2 pitch. I got so lucky, but um, – it's, you know, it's just when you hit a, a good sinker ball, pitcher's ball, I mean, you're just going to drill into the ground. It feels like you're hitting a bowling ball. You did hit a home run at Yankee Stadium, right? Yeah, I did. My first home run, yeah, it was off Kenny Rogers. It was actually good at bat. I was never one. I struck out a lot. I hit a lot of home runs, but um, in the minor leagues, I should say. Um, 
but uh, it was a good at bats. I battled and battled, fouled off a couple pitches, and you know, I ended up hitting it in the upper deck about 500 feet. So it was it was definitely uh, something I'll never forget. When you were in little league and you were young, did you ever did you ever strike out? Yeah, I did. But you know, in little league, you know, it's always you're always the best player, right? right so, right. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely probably struck out struck out some. Yeah. You did. So even even major league a strikeout in little league. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Unless you're like Derek Jeter, I think his I forget what his stat was his senior year, but I don't think he struck out his senior year. Um, but uh, a little bit different. Derek Jeter is one of the best of all time. Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. Thank you for tuning in to the Open Your Eyes podcast. If you like the video you're watching, please hit the like button. Also, hit subscribe for weekly new episodes of the podcast, along with pod winks and bonus so content. What, what, all right, let's get back to the show. manager like in a major league baseball, in a major league manager like Phil Gardner? What's he like with the players? He's great. I mean, you know, he's he's an ex-player and all those guys are ex-players you know they're it's business though you know it's it's business versus you know in, in little league and stuff it's the dad's coach and then you move up a little bit and you got a high school coach but I, I gotta tell you the um the best coach I ever had Phil was amazing but my college coach Dusty Rhodes who's in the hall of fame that that guy is the best coach I've ever seen in my life he's unreal unreal um he got the best out of everybody he started at UNF, University of North Florida. That's where I went to school. Um, didn't have a baseball team in 1988. He started a team and won 50 games. I mean, who does that? You know, all he did was get a bunch of guys that would run through a wall for him. And he, he's like, hey, I'd take 50 guys like that, or, you know, 25 guys like that than a bunch of prima donnas. But the guy's a great coach. I mean, he slept in the, he slept in the field, built that program, and now it's named after him, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Did he ever play professional baseball? Who's that? Dusty Rhodes. Um, no, no, I don't think he ever did. No, he was from South Florida, um, got his master's degree in education and, you know, started a baseball coach. And he was the coach at UNF from 88 until, gosh, 2010. But, yeah, the guy's unreal, unreal. When I first went there, I didn't really care for him. Uh, he's, he's, you know, I don't know that he can coach the way – you can coach nowadays the way he did. I mean, we we lost a game. We were, gosh, 24-0 and – that was the worst speech of all time telling us how bad we were. And, you know, I was like, wait a minute, aren't we, aren't we undefeated? Um, but I mean, you lost, you ran five by fives till really everybody puked. You can't do that nowadays. It's, you know, it's different. You know, some of these kids are a little coddled a little bit too much in my opinion. So what was his like main philosophy to, to, to make everybody so good? He, he just got the best out of everybody because he, he, he was tough on you. He was tough on you, but like a, like, a, like a dad would a son. You know, you knew, like I said, when I first went there, I was like, God, this guy's terrible. But by the time I left there, I mean, I thanked him for what he did for me. I mean, he's one of the reasons why I played in the major leagues. I had the talent, but he got every ounce of it. And he's, he told me, he said, hey, man, you know, you can make some money at this if you want to. And, and I did. And I listened to him. And honestly, he's one of the guys, like, you know, if you just listen to what he says – um, you can be successful, man. He just, he drove us, he drove us, he drove us to be the best. And, you know, if you respect somebody, you know, he, he was a player coach, you know, I'll do anything for a player coach. And, um, he just was tough, 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 but he got everything out of every guy.
And how, how was Phil Gardner? What was he like as a manager? You know, so, so it's the difference between college and professional like that is, you know, college, you're still going to school and you got to deal with all that. The coach has to do so many different things like, you know, fundraising. Whereas professional is business. You know, Phil was, it's all business. Um, great manager though. Uh, great manager. And, um, you know, he drove us too, you know, and all, all the, all the guys on that team, Jim Gantner, um, all, all the guys were, were great coaches. We had, we had great coaches at Milwaukee. We never really did. Um, we were all about, about, about a 500 team. Now, now Milwaukee's got a great team, but um, yeah, we never went, went to the playoffs when I was there, but you know, we had, we had a good team, good bunch of guys. So some of the players you played with like John Jaha, he was a big yeah. home run hitter. Yeah, John, he's 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 an Oscar. I haven't talked to him in a little in a, in a while, but he's yeah, he was you know thirty plus home runs, kind of a quiet guy, you know, led by example. And um, yeah, I respected 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 John big time and learned a lot from him and Greg Vaughn and Marquise Grissom and you know Cirillo, Mark Loretta. I mean, Mark Loretta is another guy. I mean, not a ton of. If you saw him, you'd be like, oh, he's an accountant. And he right. played, you know, he played. <laughs> 15 years in the major leagues at shortstop. The guy's incredible, but he was super smart. Um, and he just, he worked, he worked, man. And there's nothing, just like everything in life. Like I tell my boys, you know, nothing's going to come easy. You have to work at it. You know, a ton of guys have talent, but if they don't do anything with it, and a lot of guys don't, it's for nothing. And, and, and how was Sal Bando? Did you deal with him at all? He was a GM and, yeah. you know, I, I remember him as a player when he played for Oakland. Yes. Yes. Sal and Chris, great, great guys. I mean, it, it was a good family atmosphere there. I, I was so thankful, you know, for the, for the time there. I mean, it was, it, it was brief. Um, it's never as long as you want. Um, but, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta be injury free. And, um, in the 19, was it 98? Yeah. Basically when I, we were getting ready to break camp. I, uh, I tore a ligament in my wrist and was out four or five months. So you got to kind of stay away from injury. It's got to kind of, the guys that really like, look at Cal Ripken, right? I mean, 2,160, I mean, guys, how do you do that? You know, he played 20 something years without missing a game. That's incredible. Wow. Did you play with Julio Franco? Yeah, Julio. So how good and bad. How old was he when you when you? Who knows? That's what I say. It's like who knows? I'd say, man, he may have been fifty, but um, uh, yeah, he was he was when we signed him as a you know, almost like a DH type. Um, so he he it he did he did a good job and at his age to stay as fit as he was too. Yeah, I definitely I definitely looked up to him. But when he came on our team, it kind of took 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 my spot a little bit. So I was oh, like, really? oh, yeah. You know, but um, but yeah, Julio and the way he hit, you know, he'd always have his bat like way up like that. And he he swung the biggest, heaviest bat you've ever seen. The guy's super strong. Wow, that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, he must super have played strong. for like I don't know, like twelve teams. He played for like fifty years, it seemed like. <laughs> so, who were you like your best buddies on the team? That you be, anyone you became close with? Um, Brian Banks, we we kind of played up. We played together. Um, Jeff Jenkins, he wasn't in Milwaukee with me, but um, through the minor leagues. Bobby Hughes was in the minor leagues with me. The guys you kind of Tim Monroe, the guys you kind of come up and pl play with, you know, or, or the guys you kind of hang out with. I I lived with Mark Loretta a little bit at, when I first got there, um, but yeah, those are kind of the guys you're you're closer with because you know you've played with them in the minor leagues. In the minor leagues you get really close when you're sleeping on air mattresses in a little tiny room with another guy. So, um, yeah, I became good friends with Danny Clausen, who, who never, 
I don't think he ended up with Milwaukee, but he was in the big leagues with Arizona. So, yeah, those guys. You know, you, you, we talk about the difference between a major league player and a minor league player, and a lot of the talent is very su similar. Oh, yeah. When you talk, but it's really mental. And I remember uh, Mariano Rivera was being interviewed oh. on television, and he blew a save, you know, one of the rare saves that he would blow. And, and they, you know, they, the announcer was asking him about it. He goes, I already forgot about it. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Tomorrow's yeah, I, I got a good story about Mario and Rivera, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. But <laughs> um, so we were in New York. Fernando Vini, I was, I was on deck. Fernando Vini was hitting, and they were getting ready. If they beat us, they clinched. It was so loud. And, you know, Mario and Rivera is unhittable. So – I'm in the batter's box and I don't ever remember doing this before. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? If Fernando got out here, it wouldn't be the worst thing that ever happened. <laughs> you know, we were down, we, we weren't in the game. It was like eight to one and he, he did end up striking out and the game was over. But um, yeah, I probably shouldn't admit that. But, <laughs> I mean, it's just Mariano Rivera was unhittable and the nicest guy, nicest guy ever when I, you know, he's one of the best guys to play the game. That's, that's really great to hear. So tell me about baseball cards. You, you, you're into baseball cards and uh, tell me about how you got into it, first of all. So I got into it. Now I'm into sports cards as a whole, basketball, football, and baseball. Um, it's taken off since the pandemic. It really has. I mean, it's, it was great in the, till about 90s. In the 90s, they, they had the junk wax era, if you will, and then it kind of slowed up, but it's been taken off lately. I started when I was gosh, six, seven years old. I, I'm, I like to organize things and it's a good, you know, baseball cards was a way to do that. And I remember my mom buying me, you know, 1962 uh, tops mantle for 10 bucks. And, you know, now that card as a, as a nine is, you know, $200,000. So um, the 52 mantle, as you guys probably saw a 52 mantle PSA nine just sold for 4.26 million, whatever it was. Um, that's crazy it's crazy out of a five cent pack in the fifties, but, um, so I've always done it. I got, you know, I collected, um, as a young kid and then stopped, you know, as a kind of a, um, teenager slash, you know, young adult. And then I got back into it like a lot of people have lately. And it's, it's definitely a, not a young person's, uh, hobby anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big boy hobby because some of these boxes are selling for $10,000. Wow. You know, right. For, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy, but it's, it's fun. I have fun with it. Um, I kind of invest with it and play with it, but it's, it's, it, it's fun. And I, you know, do it with my kids and we have a good time. How do they, how do you find somebody to rate the cards like that you could trust? Yeah. So basically, I don't know if you're familiar with PSA, but they're, they're the, the biggest authentication in, in the country that, that and BGS. Um, I send a lot of cards off to there to get graded. Um, you know, I'm always hoping for tens and it's definitely a, um, it's changed the, the card collecting business for sure. Um, I've got the, my, my best, I guess, thing I have is I've got every mantle. I've got every mantle, but I've got the whole 1962 top set graded. There's 598 cards. I've been collecting it since I was seven and I've got every single card graded eight or better. So um, yeah, that's, that's probably my, my biggest investment slash collection, I guess. So 62, what was, what that car, what does that card look like? Is that this the, the hardest one, I, in my opinion, it's the hardest one other, you know, cause other than like that, what is uh, 1971, the black ones, but the, the, the brown borders, the, the, brown, the brown borders, borders that look like they're peeled up a little bit. It's, it's a super hard card to collect cause, cause they're brown instead of white. So yeah, I mean, it's got, 
you know, of course, Mantle. It's got Lou Brock's rookie, Gaylord Perry rookie. Um, it's got, um, yeah, a lot of a lot, a lot of good rookies, but a lot of I mean, Willie Mays. The big cards are Mays and Mantle, Koufax, Maris. Maris is card number one, so it's a tough one to get in good condition because people used to put rubber bands around, you know, and right, right. on top. He was on top, and plus that's that's the year after he hit 61 home runs, so it's a, it's it's a good card. It's got Bob Euchre too. That's another good guy, Bob Euchre. Being in Milwaukee, he was the nicest guy. He he would always, you know, if you met him, he's hilarious. He's always going fishing and invite you on his boat. So, you know, I'm glad to have his rookie card as well. You know, Hank Aaron just passed away. Did you did yeah. you ever meet him? Or did you know him? Yeah, yeah, I did actually. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was in gosh, what how long, 19. I guess it was 96. Yeah. But um, yeah, sad, sad, to, sad to see, but you know, Hey, he had a good career, good, good long life, man. And yeah. um, you know, he did a lot, he did a lot for the community and for the sport. So. Yeah. He was, he was really known as quite a gentleman and an ambassador to baseball. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, being, he was a former brewer. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I've got I've got a lot of his cards as well. So him, yeah, Maze, man, all all those guys. My favorite year is the '65, the one with the flag. Yeah, it's nice, good, good year. Yeah, that's I didn't collect that one as much. I I went for '62 and '67 for some reason, um, but yeah, I, I got a lot of '65s. You know, my my I got of course a mantle that year, and right. you know Maze and Aaron. I tried to get mantle, Maze, and Aaron in all those years, but now it's tough. I mean, it's you know it's the cards are tough to, especially in good condition, especially in good condition. You know, if you get cards in good condition, you got some money there. So you just mail, you mail them away. I mean, yeah. this card could be worth a hundred thousand dollars that you put in the mail. You do. Yeah. You just insure it. Yeah. You just insure it. Um, yeah. They put it in the mail and so far they've gotten there every single time. <laughs> so yeah. Now if I had a card that was, you know, that was going to be come back at a hundred thousand, I would probably fly that one out there and do a walkthrough, honestly. Um, it's going to cost you, you know, thousand, two thousand bucks, but it's worth it on a hundred thousand dollar card. Where are they located? They're in California. Oh, they're in California. Yeah. Now they just opened an office in New York too, but their big office is in Irvine, California. Oh, they have one in New York. And how about BGS? BGS. I don't know where I've never sent anything to BGS. People do. I just haven't. Um, I don't like the cases as much. I just like the PSA cases. Um, but they're so backed up. You send cards in now, unless you pay a lot of money to get them through, you're going to wait six, eight, 12 months to get them back. It's, it, but kidding. now, now supposedly um, PSA got bought out by a private company. They might go private and uh, have like, um, like digital grading where, you know, it's graded by like a computer almost first. Cause now it's so subjective, you know, sometimes you get cars back and you're like, how is this not a 10? It's a nine, you know, it's right. pretty subjective. And how about uh, Jeb Nolan Ryan's rookie card? I do, but not in good condition. I wish I did. Yeah, I wish I did. The OPT is the one to get, but it's so hard to it's so hard to get. I mean, in great condition, that card's you can't touch it. You know, it's yeah. That card won for like a half a million dollars, right? Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. So I'm into basketball now, like LeBron, Michael Jordan, right? Uh huh. You could have bought a PSA ten Michael Jordan last year. You could have bought that for fifty, sixty thousand. One just sold for two twenty four, two hundred twenty four thousand. And I, I'm going to predict, well, I shouldn't say, but I'd say a year from now, that's going to be a million dollar card. No kidding. Is yeah. that his rookie card? Yeah. 86 Fleer. Yep. Right. 
So yeah. that's one of the problems with collecting baseball cards now is there's so many different companies and that's each company has different grades, you know, like Tops. How many different cards do they have now? Like well, top, yeah, top, actually, Tops doesn't have as many Panini. Tops is more baseball, right? Tops and Upper Deck. But Panini, Panini is like football and basketball. Panini is the huge, huge company now. And they've got so many different ones. But it's about collecting – now they have like one of ones and five of, you know, cars number to five to 10 back in, back in the day, they didn't, you know, in 52, 62, they just had the card. They had one card. Now there's variations and colors and there's all sorts of things. So you try to collect something that's more of a numbered car. Cause it's more rare, you know? So, but Patrick, the good ones now you, you better have Patrick Mahomes. That guy's a stud. Of course, Tom Brady's cards are going crazy. You know, those those are how much is his rookie card worth? Oh my gosh, you can't touch them. Yeah, you can't touch them, man. There, there's a guy. I think there's one on eBay. One guy has something listed at like six million. He'll never get it, but um, yeah, it's 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 crazy because um, it's a one of one. You know, wow, that's 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 insane. Yeah, it's it's crazy what the card industry is doing, and I think we'll continue to do. I mean, it's you're getting you know big time investors. I don't know if you heard of Gary V. He's he's followed a lot by yeah, if he. You know, Pokemon, that's another thing. Pokemon is huge. I mean, he'll flash cards up and his his and he's got, you know, hundred million viewers. People go out and buy it. it it's 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 insane. Really? That's yeah. Pokemon cards are worth, huh? It's this is the twenty-fifth anniversary and my kids were into it. And I was kinda like, that's silly. Now I'm like, oh, okay. I see the writing on the wall. Pokemon's taking off. What what's the most expensive Pokemon card you think? Oh, I think they got that um gosh, they got that rare that rare Charizard is is like a i think it's like a million bucks i mean yeah it's it's crazy you know and what they say about charizard which is kind of cool they said look charizard's not going to pull a hamstring or have a career ending injury he's going to be in the game always so yeah it's it's you know because i think you know guys our age collected baseball 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 you know we're getting older (laughs) we're getting older whereas our kids they collected Pokemon more than they did sports cards. So you're seeing the industry change a little bit. You're always going to have your, your old school guys and guys that are going to collect vintage, but it's moved more towards basketball because basketball is more mainstream and international. And the guys are only 10 guys, 15 guys on a team and you can see them more. Um, so basketball is really taken off. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> what other years in baseball are you, are your favorite? Besides, is that 62, 67? 67. Now it's all new. Now, now, I, now I collect more than years. I collect players like Acuna. Um, mm-hmm. I love Cody Bellinger. Love, love, love that kid. Um, and then you got Jason Dominguez as the new kid. And, you know, so I, I probably collect before I was all baseball. Now I'm probably less baseball and I'm mostly basketball and sealed wax. Um, you know, I buy boxes of cars and just sit on it, you know. And, right, right. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, I think my biggest card this year, I bought it for $117 raw. I had it graded by PSA. It graded a PSA 10. So Jim meant, and this was eight months ago and it's a 2009 tops Chrome um, Kobe Bryant. And it's the one where um, LeBron's guarding him. It's the only one where they're, they're both in the picture. I paid 117, eight months ago. It's worth almost $7,000. It's crazy. It's crazy. Where else can you do that? It's crazy. Now I'm not selling it, but it's a great iconic card, you know? So I enjoy it. I mean, I don't, you know, it's just something I do. That's what I go to work during the day and I do that at night, you know? So. 
Well, I want to th thank Todd Dunn for joining me today. It's it's really been a pleasure. Uh, I know that you're into real estate. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about your real estate? If somebody wants to find you and yeah. is moving to Florida, how could they get in touch with Todd Dunn and look for real estate? Yeah, I mean, once I got out of, I've been doing it 20 years now. So once I got out of baseball uh, back in 2000, you know, I got right into real estate. Um, my uncle was a big builder here. Uh, both my parents were um, brokers and in land development, all that. So it's kind of what I knew. So I, I just got into that and I didn't know how I was going to do. And I've, I've been pretty, pretty successful at it. I'm with a company called dream finders now in, uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, actually St. John's County. Uh, my community Silverleaf. Um, we just went public. Um, Patrick Zalewski is the, um, the CEO started the company about 10, 12 years ago. And I'm um, sorry, dogs are barking. Um, yeah, started, <laughs> yeah, started the company about 10, 12 years ago, building one house. Now he's building, I mean, we're building 3,000 here locally. Um, he's, he's young, uh, extremely intelligent, um, and has done a very good job of building the company. Um, again, we went public, so, but I'm in Silverleaf. I'm in Silverleaf in St. John's County, um, and St. John's County's the, the, the number one uh, county in the state for schools, so we sell a lot there. Um, so, yeah, they can they can reach out to go to DreamFinders uh, website and look up Silverleaf, and they can find my number and reach out to me, and we can talk. Uh, are you doing any coaching? Uh, do you have any, you know, coaching baseball? I know your kids don't play baseball, right? Not, not now because they're, they're, they're older. Um, so I do some, I, it's funny. I get people that come by houses and they'll come from all over and their kids like 12 and they're like, Hey, can you give us some hitting lessons? I'm like, yeah, man, you buy a house, free lessons. Let's go. <laughs> so, uh, so some of that, but you know, it's, you know how it is, you know, you get busy being busy and I, you know, we, I work a lot and, uh, um, but yeah, I'll help, I'll help kids out here and there. I don't charge, uh, any hitting lessons or anything like that though. That's amazing. Well, Todd, I really want to thank you. And if anybody's moving to Jacksonville, please call Todd. Thanks a lot for joining me on Open Your Eyes. Yeah, hey, I appreciate you having me, Todd. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Presbyopia? Presbyopia. Presbyopia might be the ability to see Presbyterians. There are people who are afraid of the press. I have no idea what it is, honestly. Presbyopia. A condition in which the eye loses its ability to focus. Making it hard to see objects up close. I've heard the bifocal, but not right, multifocal. I have never heard of multifocal contact lenses, no. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.